Hi friends, welcome back. My guest today is Tim Harkness and we are speaking about a topic which seems to come up a lot at the moment, how to have good conversations. It's indicative of the time, right, that everyone is shouting and no one is listening. So hopefully today Tim, with his beautiful South African accent, is going to give you some tips on how you can be a better conversationalist. Our ability to communicate is crucial for happiness and social cohesion, and yet it seems the art of having a productive conversation has been very, very lost, especially in 2020. So today expect to learn Tim's favourite rules for effective talking, the conversation archetypes, how to diagnose your own communication strategy, whether Donald Trump is truly a master communicator, and much more. I also love people with South African accents, man. Like, it's so, it's so good. Tim. Tim Harkness. I, I can't do South African very good, but it's, he's great. He's great. I changed my Siri to South African, to a South African lady, uh, because that's how much I love the, the accent. So speaking to Tim for an hour was, was wonderful. In other news, this Thursday is episode 200. Shit the bed. <laughs> how the hell 200 episodes has come around this quickly blows my mind. But yeah, episode 200, uh, we had tons and tons, literally hundreds of messages uh, with questions that we went through, myself, Johnny and Yusuf. Also, we might be we might be doing a, an in-person podcast soon. But I, I don't know. I don't know if, if recording us sat in a room together is actually like a legal offence. So if anyone knows if I'm allowed to do it, let me know. Um, or we might just accidentally break the law and, and, and see if we can get it done. Uh, but yeah, this Thursday, episode 200, really, really fun. Me, Johnny and Yusuf just riffing on a bunch of questions. People asked us about life and erectile dysfunction and B-days and all of the other random stuff that we talk about. This episode is brought to you by Whoop. I've worn Whoop for over four years now, since way before they were a partner on the show, and it is the only wearable I have ever stuck with because it's the best. It is so innocuous, you do not remember that you've got it on, and yet it tracks absolutely everything 24-7 via something from your wrist. It tracks your heart rate, it tracks your sleep, your recovery, all of your workouts, your resting heart rate, your heart rate variability, how much you're breathing throughout the night. It puts all of this into an app and spits out very simple, easy to understand, and fantastic fantastically usable data. It's phenomenal. I am a massive, massive fan of Whoop, and that is why it's the only wearable that I've ever stuck with. You can join for free, pay nothing for the brand new Whoop 4.0 strap, plus you get your first month for free, and there's a 30-day money-back guarantee, so you can buy it for free, try it for free, and if you do not like it, after 29 days, they will give you your money back. Head to join.whoop.com slash modernwisdom. That's join.whoop.com slash modern wisdom. This episode is brought to you by AG1. AG1 is a daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Even with the best diet in the world, it is hard to make sure that you get everything that you need. And through a science-driven formulation of vitamins, probiotics, and whole food sourced nutrients, AG1 delivers comprehensive support for the brain, gut, and immune system. This is why Joe Rogan and Lex Friedman and Dr. Andrew Huberman and Tim Ferriss are all massive fans. They have tried every other product out there like I have, and this is by far the best one available. Since 2010, AG1 have improved the formula 52 times in the pursuit of making the best foundational nutrition supplement possible through high quality ingredients and rigorous standards. Also, there's a 90 day money back guarantee, so you can buy it and try it for 89 days. And if you don't like it, they'll just give you your money back. 
Head to drinkag1.com slash modernwisdom for that 90-day money-back guarantee, a year's free supply, vitamin D, five free travel packs, and more. That's drinkag1.com slash modernwisdom. But for now, we're going to listen to Tim's wonderful, Tim, Tim Hackness. We are going to listen to his beautiful South African accent. Expert's Guide to Mastering Difficult Conversations. Has there ever been a more appropriate time to work out how to have difficult conversations than right now? You know, I I wrote the book and just there's one line in the book that refers to the the pandemic. And it's the last it's the last revision that was made to the 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 manuscript. And I thought to myself as the lockdown started is the book relevant still? Because it just seemed that we had this all-encompassing issue that we all needed to pay attention to. Um, and then, of course, you know, the, the complexity of the lockdown emerged. And then the Black Lives Matter protest began as well. And suddenly I thought to myself, actually, yes, uh, you know, I, I think this notion and, and, you know, not even to make a claim for my book, but just to make a claim for talking, just to make a claim for communication. I think this is something that we need globally. And yeah, absolutely, it's been reinforced in the last couple of months. You uh, you had a little bit of divination, clairvoyant foresight, perhaps there about just how much it was needed. Well, you know, I, I mean, obviously, we we've been dealing with Brexit for years, you know, and and uh, I think people have been there's this growing economic inequality that that I think has has been a, a concern for people, um, and and that's just at the political level. You know, and then at the at the personal level or the professional level, I mean, one of the things that the lockdown has thrown up has been um, what I, I read this book and, and it calls it domestic bargaining. And it, it's basically who does the vacuuming. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> there, there's this whole kind of um, uh, field of study around it. Oh, that's a body of uh, work now. Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. And, and you know, the, the thing is, I mean, just think how much it affects all of us. Well, I don't know if it affects you, but it me and my affects me. me. Me and my housemate have got every other Thursday, we get the marigold yellow gloves on and right. we throw the tunes on and he does, okay. the, he does the bathroom and the living room and I do, the, really? I do the kitchen and downstairs and then it's done and that's it once every two weeks. Okay, so you go for straight equality. That that that's your. It's Equal, like absolutely quality of outcome and equality of opportunity. Yeah, equal access to okay. the Hoover. Equal access right. to the to the. To okay, the yeah. So, so that's your method, and that's what works. Yes, not everybody goes with that. By the way, you know, there, there's some more complex discussions um, <laughs> that that can emerge. I want to know if you're listening and you've got a very convoluted way that you and the people that you live with have um, partitioned the housework. Throughout lockdown, I want you to tell me what the most complicated ways are that that's happened because this yeah. just sounds. I found out um, my friend's uh, girlfriend has a very complex way of keeping the house clean. Apparently, right. there's there's a, a number of books that are all s- systematic programs of how you clean your house. It's like okay. the, if you took uh, David Allen's Getting Things Done framework for productivity, but applied nice. it to housework, 
and yes. the, it's it's so sophisticated. He's got it, bro. I was just like, there's there's just an underworld that I totally didn't realize, yes. and I was just living in this different different place. Okay, so we've we've kind of got ourselves framed here that we do need to have conversations, and I think at the moment. Mm. It's precisely the things that we need to talk about that we're struggling to talk about. We have quite a lot yes. of performative communication going on at the moment. It's difficult to work out who the bad actors are and who the ones that are just saying something out of fear or um, signaling or any one of a number of different things. Sure. So sure. High, high level, what is the purpose of communication and why do we need to learn how to talk? Yeah, well, you know, th that's rule one is agree what you're talking for. So, you know, that, that question, what is the purpose of communication? We, we have different objectives and we run into problems when two people each have their own agenda in a conversation. It's much easier when we both want the same thing. So, you know, just to list some objectives, one kind of conversation is a listening conversation. So, you know, I, I get home at the end of the day and, and I say to my partner, honey, how was your day? And that's a pure listening conversation because my partner knows about her day and I don't. So, you know, that, that's kind of point number one is it's just about information transfer. On the other hand, if, if you're a dentist and I, you know, come and visit you, you've got the information, I don't. And I just want to listen. So that's one kind of conversation. But you can run into problems because the one problem could be I don't realize what I don't know. The second kind of problem is when my ego gets involved and you start telling me there's some kind of issue with my teeth and, and I go, well, you're telling me I don't know how to look after my teeth. And then I stop listening because there's this kind of ego problem that, that, that's been invoked. So that's the one kind of conversation is a listening conversation. Um, you get another kind of conversation, which is an emotional conversation where, uh, you know, you and I meet up and, and you say to me, you know, how's it going? And I say, you know, I've been having a tough time. And I start to share my emotions with you. And an emotional conversation has all the characteristics of a listening conversation, but it's got one more. And that is that if we're having a listening conversation, at some point when I'm listening, I can go, okay, no, I got it. I understand. Mm -hmm. Which obviously you can't do in an emotional conversation. You yeah. know, th there's all no right, point. All right, mate, you're a bit sad. <laughs> I, get a, it. I get I know, it. I know, I know. That doesn't work. Um, so, you know, that, that's another kind of conversation. There's a third kind of conversation, which is a, a, um, a values conversation, um, where we, we evaluate things. Um, was this a good football match or not? Um, you know, is, is, um, is immigration genuinely a problem? Uh, Black Lives Matter, that, that's a values conversation. It, it's a, it's a conversation about what is important to us. Um, and then, once you've had the values conversation, things start to get, again, you can add a, a level of complexity on top of that, and you can start to have a fairness conversation, which is what's fair. So even at the, the, the personal level, these are crucial conversations that we have. Now, you know, in your housework system, you've got a totally fair because you've got complete equality, you know, which is you, you dedicate the same amount of effort and the same amount of time. And there are no problems there, so you've got it worked out. But not everybody uses equality as a basis for fairness. Some people use deserve, which is, I had a really tough day. I deserve some time off. Once you start introducing that element, or once you start 
introducing the element of, because that could be deserved. I had a really tough day. You know, I had a very stressful meeting. It only lasted for 30 minutes, but it was so stressful that I can't vacuum. You know, and, you know, I promise you that line has been used. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to try that next Thursday when it's right. my turn. Man, I just had this meeting. But he knows yeah. that I'm locked in the house. He knows that that's right, bullshit right. from me. Yeah. <laughs> well, you could have had a tough podcast, you know. Yeah. You never know. Maybe the guy was no good. Um, so, so that's another complicating element. And a, and a third complicating element is um, that sometimes fairness is about what we need. Um, and, you know, th this is where, to be frank, some of the um, some of the, the, the household bargaining uh, arguments in, well, I'm supposed to say negotiations, negotiations in our house crop up is that we may have different needs in terms of how how clean we need the carpet to be. And so so on on that basis, if I don't need the carpet to be quite as clean as what my partner needs it to be, then why should we have equal effort in terms of uh, achieving something that we don't equally need? Um, so, you know, and 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 I mean, obviously, and not to take anything away from these household bargaining conversations because they're important and we all have to do them. So th this is a major issue. Tim, if the household bargaining people take error with this podcast, given the last 200 episodes that we've put out, I've, we've had a porn star on here. We've had, okay. we've had yeah. you know, if that's the thing that right. makes people sit up and go, you know, do you know what it is? That, Chris had this South African fella, and he was yes. bad mouthing the way that people organise the housekeeping. If that's an, you if went that's too an far, I'll be surprised. Yeah, All right. you can talk about porn, but don't you fucking yes. talk about the vacuuming? Well, yeah, you never know. You know, I, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. But but you know, having said that, then these same things apply to our professional conversations and our political conversations. That. In terms of something like immigration, what's fair? Um, how do we distribute what people need compared to what people deserve compared to equality? Or in terms of, you know, distribution of wealth, you know, we, everybody's talking about the 1% at the moment and how they're, you know, so much richer than they used to be or the fact that CEOs now can earn 200 times as much as a base level employer in their, in their um, employee in, in their organization. So, you know, that, that, that's another kind of conversation is just a fairness conversation. And then another kind of conversation is a prediction conversation. And this is that you and I want the same thing, but we disagree about the best course of action to achieve it. So to me, in some ways, the Brexit conversation is a prediction conversation because we all want the same thing. We all want a happy country. We all want people to have jobs. We all want community. Um, you know, we all want healthy people and so on but we've just got different ideas about what's going to deliver that and i think that the prediction kind of conversation it's important to recognize because often we're not actually that different because we do actually want the same thing it's more like a technical thing of well how do we achieve that so you know those are some conversations and then the kind of master conversation and this is the one that i i really want to champion is the conversation where we talk about talking. So, you know, this is what you and I are doing now. We're having a conversation about conversations. And this is an important conversation, I think, for everybody. When you get stuck in one of the previous five conversations, you need to be able to bail out of that conversation, going, hang on, wait, 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 this isn't working. Let's start talking about talking. Let's start talking about this conversation. 
and really that's what the book is designed to do is kind of equip people with the skills to to have that conversation where you're talking about talking each of those different categories of conversation that you've just come up with there do mm. they require a different mindset a different skill set yeah and and you know that that that's actually just today it's an article i've been working on is which of the rules apply particularly to those different kinds of conversations um so you know some of the rules so broadly when when you're talking you need to be able to achieve two things the one thing you need to be able to do is you need to be able to achieve safety and that is that basically people feel respected they feel that they're being respected and they feel that their needs are being respected that's the one thing that's got to happen and if that doesn't happen this conversation is not going to work as well at all the second thing that you've got to be able to achieve is that there's got to be some kind of um journey towards the truth there's got to be some kind of shared understanding of the world and a conversation's got to be effective and the skills that you use for each of those now a conversation cannot be safe unless it's effective you know you and i can have all the respect we like for each other and you know we have in in the world for each other but if we see the world in completely different ways you know if you think the world is round and i think the world is flat unless we've made some sort of progress to getting closer to a shared understanding of the world we've been wasting our time and it's unlikely that we're going to be able to maintain full respect for each other given that we've got such a, a kind of significantly different view of the world but at the same time we can't have an effective conversation unless it's a safe conversation so we can't start bombing each other with facts and logic and you know um arguments unless we actually both feel respected and and um you know kind of honored by the other person yeah it starts it devolves into um either a debate which is the sort of formal version of a conversation which you identify in the book or yep. uh, i guess a, a slanging match which I, I don't know if that technically exists in the book um but yeah <laughs> but, but a very real thing oh, oh absolutely yeah that's the the unspoken type of conversation that that's yeah. uh, not in there yeah, it's um those two things, the effectiveness slash kind of the namaste one plus one equals three in this conversation. We both go away with yeah. more wisdom than we came in with it. Yeah. Uh, the effectiveness slash truth and the safety. Yes. I am seeing almost every conversation on the internet qualify neither of those yes. of those characteristics. Like yeah. People are going out of their way to make conversations as unsafe as possible to try and show as little respect. You you talk about the retort and the sound bite yeah, in yeah. the book as well, and both of those are really fascinating. The way that a retort is a, a put down designed to almost interrupt the flow of a conversation, um, yeah. and that the one safety net that you used to have in a flowing conversation was mm. that you needed to have a particular degree of spontaneous um, uh, creativity in order yeah, to be able yeah. to do a, you know, a zinger, the, knee, yes, the old yes. knee slapper in a debate. Like you have to, <laughs> whereas now that a lot yeah. of our conversations are mediated by the internet, you got five minutes. You That's can ask it. your mate yeah. what he thinks. Oh, this it, guy, yeah. this guy just said that that my podcast's shit. What can I, what can I call? I'll call, call yeah. him bald. Call him bald. He, yeah, he's bald. You yeah, know, like that's you, a good one. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. you can kind of do this, and um, mm. yeah, it seems like everything at the moment is gearing us as a 
society, as a community, toward having worse types of conversations. And yeah. I really do feel so blessed to find long-form conversations enjoyable because if I didn't, I worry because I listen to, right. I consume a lot of content, Joe okay. Rogan, Sam Harris, Ben right. Shapiro, right. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. If I didn't enjoy that, the only mm. things that I would be consuming are like the 15 second Instagram okay. story okay. that, you know, there is t to me, hopefully for the listeners as well, these sorts of conversations yeah. are like, they're the tonics, you know, that are calming, they're the antidote to the venom in a way yeah. that people are seeing, look, yes, it's slower. Yes, it's more pedestrian. Yes, you have to do a little bit of work to actually get some of it. But that's the point. It's like a mental gymnasium for yourself, right? As opposed to it just being, look at this 280 character mm. put down that's mm. filled with emojis and like has a GIF attached to it. Like that's not, you understand what I mean? Like when that's the vast yeah, majority of that, the time, the, the, the communication. That, that's very interesting. And and I, I hadn't thought of that, you know, I, I hadn't thought of the, the difference between the long form and the, the, you know, the tweet or something like that. But yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, I think being, just being around that a lot of the time, especially during lockdown, people maybe haven't had a lot of people to talk to. You yeah. Know, you, maybe living on your own or living with yeah, you know, yeah. one other person you don't have tons of people to talk to so yeah. you know I, I think i've i've talked more to podcast guests than i have to anybody else right. Right. Um, or, yeah. or in an equivalent way i've probably listened to ben shapiro more right. than i've listened to any other person and um, okay uh. what what does that do to our ability yeah. to understand how to communicate right because really there's no, there's not a whole lot of difference between me listening to Ben in my ears. You know, that's all I'm going around doing the housework, yes, doing yes. whatever. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and a listening conversation where I don't ever speak. Yes. yes. You know what I mean? Yes. So what does that do to us? And how does that, how can that be the antithesis to, yeah. to this short form stuff? I think that's. Yeah. And, you know, I, I really like that idea because I, I think, you know, I think sometimes we can solve problems by reasoning our way through them. And other, way, other times we can solve problems just by exposing ourselves to different things. You know, and what you're saying is, let's just expose ourselves to more long form. And in that, we solve many of the problems that have emerged, you know, because of the fast pace of life and technology and and you know, the, this intermittent uh, communication that and written communication also, you know, with and and I, I often think to myself, you know, one of one of the stories that amazes me is, um, you know, being South African, um, one of one of the key events in South African history was the Anglo Zulu War um, in 1879 um, and mainly the Battle of Isandlwana. And then what's famous in this country is the Battle of Rorkstrift and you know, in, in a previous generation, they used to show the movie, uh, I think it was called Zulu, every Christmas, which was the story of the battle. Of, you know, this was just a tradition. Everybody would sit down and watch this movie again and again and again. And the, um, the, the battle culminated in a series of negotiations. And you had the British party who were literates, you know, they came from a literate society. And the Zulu negotiators were illiterate. They, they had no writing. What they did have, though, was the ability to memorize the entire conversation from a single listening. 
Wow. So they would go along, they would listen to a five hour conversation and they'd go back to the king and they'd be able to recite it word for word. And, you know, you've got this. So this is a society that, that at that point, and it's 150 years ago, had not been exposed to technology, but had developed this incredible spoken culture as a way of adapting for the technology, you know, that was letters and notes and, and you know, shorthand and, and whatever else. And I, it is something I'm a little aware of. I think having come from grown up in an African country is I do think sometimes there, there's a there's a tradition of conversation um, that that is quite strong. There's still some echoes of that. I, I think so, you know, and, and that's not to say it doesn't exist here, you know, in pubs and, and areas where people here get together and just talk, um, you know, and yeah, if, if podcasts and long form communications are emerging as another environment where people can do something that I think is natural to us, you know, what, what really is better than just sitting and talking with other people? Man, um, it's, I spend hundreds of hours every year doing it for, for mm. the sheer joy of of it and i have a, a piece of advice the listeners will know um once a week every week for 30 minutes at least you need to sit down with a friend and have a conversation about something that both of you are interested in you leave your phones outside of your room and you will leave that room feeling like you've just gone through therapy or a cool gym session Absolutely. or a, a sauna yeah there is something yeah. incredibly therapeutic about having a yeah. conversation where it's you and another person without yeah. distractions, holding yeah, yeah. each other to intellectual rigor, trying to be as precise right. as possible okay. with your speech. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Oh, hang on. You've just said this thing, but two seconds ago you said that thing. I don't think those two things quite marry up. Being genuinely yes. interested in what the other person has to say. And so much yes. of that stuff, you know, I, I didn't have a foresight for 10 Rules for Talking in your book, but there's a lot of that which marries up. And when you see uh, yes. someone who's done the research in the literature, when your experience of the world matches what exists in the the literature, it kind of, yes. it really reinforces it in a nice way. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of people listening want to have better conversations. What yes. are the most common errors you see people uh, making when conversing? Well, I, I think, I, I think you... There are two ways of looking at that. The one way of looking at it is you can say what kinds of what kinds of what conversation styles do people have? So the one way you could break it down is you could say some people tend to escalate. Um, so I, I think an example of this is someone like Piers Morgan. Now, <laughs> you know, Piers, I agree with him strongly on some issues and I disagree with him strongly on, on some issues as yeah, well. Never, which I think you're never is... moderate on Piers, are you? You're <laughs> It's yeah. never moderate. It's always like, <laughs> yes. yes or no. Yes, but at least it's mixed. You know, at least I don't disagree with him on everything and can't, or agree with him on everything. Um, but as you say, you're not moderate. And the reason why is that he's not moderate. He escalates. He makes a big deal out of things. And, and he tends to bring emotion into the, um, in, into the topic. He sees the world in quite a black and white sort of way. And um, so I, I, I think that's, that's an escalator. And escalators can be useful sometimes you know if um if we're having a picnic and um you know th there's a beautiful sunset and there you know butterflies flying around 
in a way, we want to be escalating this. We want to be going, wow, this is fantastic. You know, we're having a wonderful time. This is brilliant. On the other hand, if we're having a, a political argument or if, you know, we, if me and a mate are sitting in a room having a conversation and I go, no, I, I don't think you've been consistent there. What I don't want to do is escalate because I've picked up that he's been inconsistent. I don't then want to go, you know what? You're inconsistent. You're illogical. You're illogical because you lack intelligence. And you lack intelligence because you have no education and you're not a good person and blah, blah, blah. And that would be an escalation. And, you know, it's it, it's something that we're all too prone to. So so that's, you know, that, that's notion number one is the idea of escalation. And and it can it can be a good thing, but it can be inappropriate as well. There's a lot there that people need to step into their own programming with regards to their desire to want to win a conversation. Yeah, yeah. Because inevitably, by making the other person look dumb, feel silly, embarrassed, whatever it might be, it's like, yes, points for me. Like, that's Chris one up on the pedestal and Jonathan one down on the pedestal, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, you know, that, that comes back to rule one, which is agree what you're talking for. And if I'm going into a conversation with the aim of winning the conversation or taking the other person down a peg, um, well, in some ways, fine, if that's your genuine objective. But I, I think that the problem more likely is people don't realize that that's what they're pursuing. And it's not what they really want. Um, so absolutely, you know, I'm, I'm not looking to take, well, it, I think most of the time it's not an explicit aim and, it, and it's not the best aim. It's, in when, it, it's when it creeps in. I think even if you asked someone, yes. did you mean to have an adversarial conversation there where you made the other person yeah. feel silly? in retrospect or beforehand no but they just get caught up the signaling there's that girl over the far side looking or there's that person at the table who i want to look the boss is watching at the table and i want to look like i'm real capable or whatever it might be that's it Uh, okay so that was the first category escalation yes yes second category storytellers so you you get some people who um who communicate their view of the world through stories and I think a great example of this is Boris Johnson, that he's got this um, this real knack for metaphor. And he, you know, when he talks about the coronavirus as an invisible mugger, he says we're going to send it packing. When he was critical of um, Theresa May's Brexit negotiations by saying we, th- there's a white flag fluttering as we walk into the meeting room. You know, these are very vivid um, uh, and and plausible stories that he tells and obviously sometimes stories are effective you know as human beings we relate to stories and and they're a good way of persuading us sometimes but then again there's a there's a limitation to them and in, in that they lack uh, a real kind of level of um a precision and accuracy so it, it the, the problem with a story is that a story is not verifiable you know, just so, so I'm, I'm flying the white flag. Well, what on earth does that mean? You know, <laughs> yeah. how, how, how would we measure, you know, how do you measure whether... How much we, flag there is? Exactly. Is it white? Is it slightly cream? Yeah, that's the thing. You know, there's just no way to tell. And when there's no way to tell, we've limited our potential to agree. Because as you say, a conversation is about trying to find out the truth. It's trying to find out how the world really is. So what I should be doing in a conversation, well, what we should be doing in a conversation is we're both trying to work out a fact about the world. 
I'm not trying to persuade you of my worldview and you're not trying to persuade me of your worldview. We're both trying to journey towards an improved understanding of how the world can be. And that's ultimately how we persuade is by perceiving what is real. And storytellers compromise on that potential. Um, and then, you know, just because PMQs is quite interesting at the moment, you've got what, what I would call an analyst. So you've got Keir Starmer, who is quite strong on the rigor, on the facts, on the detail, on the precision. And um, and he interacts with so that you've got an analyst interacting with a storyteller. And it kind of makes for quite good fireworks because you've got these two very different conversational approaches. Now, it does mean that they're really just scoring points off each other. You know, the potential for genuine collaboration and the potential for actual agreement is fairly low because, you know, you've got two such different approaches. And, and you know, I, I think we all kind of relate to analysts. You know, if someone's building a bridge or an aeroplane, I want an analyst. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to be I perfectly honest. I Boris Johnson. No, I, I don't want a storyteller. You know, I, I don't want, well, these wings look fantastic. You know, <laughs> they, they are going to lift you up on the wind. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm not wanting that kind of thing. I'm wanting the analyst. And to be perfectly honest, you know, when it comes to an economic policy, I'm wanting an analyst as well. Um, but being an analyst is not enough because part of operating in a democracy is that we need to be bound together. You know, we need to have a shared identity. We need to have some, some sense of a, a collective narrative that is meaningful and important for all of us. And that's where the storytellers come in is that they can be very good at doing that. So, you know, once again, I think the analyst there's the definite strengths, but then it, it's not the only solution. But it's not super persuasive either, is it? You know, the fact that Boris Johnson won the most recent general election by a landslide as a storyteller, what does That's that tell true. you? It tells you that people are much more persuaded by stories than they are by facts. If, if facts were what persuaded most people, then the economists would run the world. It would so, just be the people that were able to, the macro this and the standard deviations actually inside the interquartile yeah. range and blah, blah. Yes, like, yes, so yes. It, none of that. It's not about that. Um, yeah. I love the idea of storytelling increasing the imprecision within the conversation yes. with, uh, as a tool, almost as a tool, right? And I like the thinking about in myself, sometimes I only just realizing it now, use analogy as a way to escape being precise with what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. Because as you say, as soon as you use an analogy, every the rules of the game are completely out the window. You're not you're no longer talking about the situation. It's an the analogous thing. situation by definition. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um Th so, that, yeah, that's a big one. Checking checking yourself about yes. hang on, am I using this to enhance the conversation and add flair yes. and, and sort of color? Or yes. am I doing it to hide myself from, or hide away from a deficiency in rigor and precision about That's how I'm actually putting this topic across? Those, those are really, really yep. cool. Uh, yes. So it, we, we got that. Can we, can we try and help the people listening self-diagnose the kind of conversationalists that they are? They're thinking this uh, sounds this sounds this sounds good, but I don't know. Am I this person? Yes. Am I that person? Yes. You know, I'd I'd add one more just to to fill out the set. So the four kinds of conversationalists. So so we've got the we've got the the storyteller, we've got the escalator, 
um, we've got the analyst. And one more is what I'd say is the safety firster. And the safety firster is the person who's prepared to compromise on their own point of view or on their own needs in order to stop the conversation getting heated or breaking down. So there comes a point where, you know, you and I, we're having an argument. You say it's not going to rain tomorrow. I say it is going to rain tomorrow. Things get a little bit heated and I go, no, you know, I I think it's probably not going to rain tomorrow. I I agree with you, you know, that that, that's okay. And I I kind of bail out of of the conversation. Um, So so I think those are the four kinds. And if if I was an escalator, sort of red flags to look out for are, are are the conversations are we making mountains out of molehills? You know, are, are we, am I reflecting on a conversation afterwards and thinking to myself, it wasn't quite as much a big deal as it seemed at the time. You know, to me, that would be a red flag. And it's quite difficult to spot in the moment because these things can, these things can build quite quickly. So that would be a question I'd want to ask is, you know, am I getting more heated, more worked up than this, this issue really deserves? consistently and yes yes um it, is this is this kind of where i end up in a conversation and and th- there's a risk here because and and this in fact is what piers morgan does is because piers morgan lacks uh the, the analytical ability he's not great at proving things with facts so he tries to prove things with emotion and he just goes to the thing of this is really important. This really matters. This is a moral issue. And, and that's how he tries to be persuasive. And, and he is persuasive. You know, the, the escalation is, is very, it, it's kind of compelling. Um, particularly if you're a safety first and you don't like lots of emotion, then you're going to be inclined to sort of back down. So, you know, I, I think the one flag for an escalator would be if you're looking back on a conversation, you go, wasn't quite as much of a big deal as it seemed at the time. Um, I, I think for the, the storyteller, um, sometimes we can look back and think, what, what actually happened there? You know, what, what was that, you know, what, what was that about? And, and, and at the time it seemed convincing, you know, white flags and you know, nobody likes white flags, you know, that, that, that that's gotta be wrong. But as you say, you know, then I look back and go, well, was it a bit cream and how big was it? And, you know, what's th- that's, you know, th- th- I think those are the storytellers is that, at the time, it all seemed quite plausible. But then you look back and you think, uh, you know, it's almost like a dream. That, when you get you know, down the, to the brass tacks of what was the number it. at the end of the conversation. Absolutely. What was the number? Yeah, not, you not know. the foggiest. Yes, yes, yes. And, and then, you know, and, and, and to me, that would be the warning sign is, you know, we're all in agreement. Um, and, and, and then it's like, well, no. And so, so that's the storyteller. The reason, I think that the reason that you're all in agreement is because you're kind of not really agreeing about anything. You're agreeing it. about yeah. this other world this, that yeah. doesn't exist. But everyone's got this, like everyone's granddad, right, is a storyteller. Everyone's yes. granddad will speak for thirty minutes, and you're like, "Yeah, granddad." But then when you th- when he finishes, you're like, "What the fuck did he just say?" <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that's the thing, you know. Okay. And and that's kind of the strength and the weakness of the storyteller. And, and and that would be the red flag. Is like, you know, what what was that all about? I think the analyst is you get left with this feeling of you know that feeling when you haven't persuaded someone all the time. Yeah. Yes. 
And, and, you know, just as I said that and you kind of, there was a bit of a delay and I was thinking, have I persuaded you? You know, had, uh, th- th- there's a sort of awkward feeling like, <laughs> and, and then I'm going, well, should I escalate this? Should I start telling a story? What, what should I do? You know, when, because I think th- there are only specific circumstances where numbers are persuasive and, you know, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll follow this track a little bit. Um, I, I was reading a book called uh, The Righteous Mind by a writer called Jonathan Haidt. And, um, and he says, scientists, even when they're wrong, are prepared to change their mind in a way that ordinary people are not. And he's got this paragraph where he reflects on the fact that it's very difficult to persuade ordinary people of a view that they hold strongly. Whereas scientists, you know, some scientists have built entire careers on on a theory and they may get to a point where they've been working on this thing for 30 years and eventually there's this kind of incontrovertible argument and they go, ah, wrong, you know, yep. change my mind. Yeah. The reason why that is possible is that scientists know the rules of talking. Scientists cannot break the rules of debate. So t- scientists cannot do things like cherry pick. They cannot ignore evidence. They cannot stick their heads in the sand and pretend that um, th- that they haven't heard an argument, um, and they can't abandon the rules of logic. And when you are held to those rigorous processes, sometimes you're forced to change your mind because you've either got the option of abandon reason or change your mind. And scientists generally would rather change their mind than abandon reason and surrender their identity as scientists. Now, normal people are not explicitly trained in the processes of reason, but we all see ourselves as reasonable people. We all, and the thing is, logic is not that difficult. You know, amassing evidence is not actually that difficult and we all kind of know how it works. It's just that we're not always good at applying it in particular situations. And what I have found is even when you're talking with ordinary people, working as an analyst, you can pull people back into the conversation by saying, but you cannot deny that and be reasonable. You cannot ignore that piece of evidence and be reasonable. You cannot stick your head in the sand and ignore that argument and be reasonable. So you're always injecting this reminder to the person that they see themselves as reasonable and they are capable of reason. Um, So that I think is an opportunity for the analyst to become more persuasive is um, when they're reminded of uh, reason. But you know, that, that is one of the red flags when you relying on reason too much is you just go, you know, I kind of said what I had to say, but I can see that this person was not moved by my by my yeah, argument. Well, I mean, if if all that it took was facts and figures, then we could just email everyone a spreadsheet and not bother to have the conversation. You'd be like, yeah. right, it's just it's just there. I think another problem that people have is again the rules of the game are so messy, and because you have like in uh, UFC, you got the Brazilian yes. jiu-jitsu guy, and then you got the kickboxer, yes. and you got the wrestler, yeah, yeah. and blah blah. Right. Um, because the rules of the game for talking are so messy, not like science. In science, yes. there's quite sharp, bright lines around, 
this is right, this is wrong, this yes. is statistically significant, this isn't, there's correlation, there's not correlation. You don't have yeah. those objective metrics. You know, you you picked a great example there. Um, basically, mixed martial arts, no rules fighting. Um, so, you know, I'm a sports psychologist, and um, about, wow, this is about 15 years ago, I worked with the South African lightweight uh, mixed martial artist and a champion. Um, and and at the same time, I was working with the all-Africa judo heavyweight champion. This guy had not been beaten in five years. Um, he weighed 120 kilograms. Yeah. He was just like this awesome human being. Yeah. Um, but then I moved into the world of MMA. So judo obviously is very strictly, you know, very strictly rule-based and, and governs. And, um, and then MMA at the time was a bit of a wild west. You know, the, the UFC had, I, I don't think had emerged, or at least it wasn't a big deal. And, um, and this guy used to win fights by breaking people's arms. You know, that, that was just his technique is he just like snapped someone's arm and then, you know, Game the over. fight was over. Yeah. And I used to go to his dojo sometimes and, and there were two characters that I remember. The one was this butcher who weighed, honestly, this guy weighed 130 kilograms of lean, lean muscle. Steroided out to the max. This is one of the most terrifying human beings I've ever met in my life. Now, I mean, just consider the fact that he's probably got roid rage, like just melting his brain. He's got all of these martial arts skills and the guy weighs 130 kilograms. You know, I mean, this is just a terrifying. If he, wa- if he wants you, you're his. <laughs> That's it. I, <laughs> I didn't even used to look at him. I just used to stay away. It's the safest strategy. Yeah, yeah. And the other one was um, a, a chiropractor who was a, a kind of middleweight, and he was the coach, and, and he was describing, I remember the one time, he was describing how you pin someone down um, on, his, um, on his stomach on the floor, and you start to punch him in the back of the head. And obviously in UFC, that rule is now, uh, you can't do that anymore. And that has been one of the interesting things, even in mixed martial arts, has been how much more clear the rules have become over a generation. And if you go and watch UFC 1, you know, where they've got Gracie and sumo wrestlers and karate guys, you know, UFC 1, there's a guy who he knocks over a sumo wrestler and he just kicks him in the head, you know, he like as he's lying on the ground. Sends his tooth into row, row That's it. F, yes. doesn't he? Yeah. Well, the one tooth goes into row F, the other one gets embedded in his foot. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's kind of wild. And But because there are no rules and, and actually modern UFC is quite rule governed, you know, and they're quite specific rules and the refs are quite quick to jump in and, and people know what those rules are. And this really is my argument for talking is that at the talking has become lawless, but I believe it would be improved. It would become more effective and it would become safer if we can apply some rules to it. And that's not impossible because as human beings, we're generally quite good at applying rules to complex processes. Take football. You're going to need to have a lot of work done in people's system too for them to slow everything down and be incredibly deliberate for a long time because a deliberate conversation is enjoyable to a point but can become a bit arduous after a while. Like when you're consciously thinking about everything you say the sam harrisism that where he says that 
um, life is a dream where you're constrained by the reality outside of you in terms of how your brain perceives it. In that, you don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know the words that are going to come out of my mouth until I say them. And that's a very bizarre situation to be in when you actually think about it. I don't know the next words that are got this sentence and then this sentence and then this sentence. Uh I don't know how many of those this sentences I'm going to say, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but if you're incredibly deliberate, you can choose to do that. And then the point is to use your planning, the planning you to Mm. instantiate these new habits and then over time hope that system one starts to pick that up and it it just occurs as a byproduct of now right you don't you don't consciously have to create your personality it just occurs as a byproduct of you existing right just manifests um but it'll take a lot of effort and humans evolutionarily our heritage is to avoid effortful uh tasks yeah um yeah yeah. the path of least resistance is always going to be there if you play the fairer game if i play the i'm going to be real rigorous and i'm going to be this that and the other and then you start throwing white flags at me i'm like well uh, what am i doing like am i i'm losing a a conversation that i was trying to you know there's so many different messy things so i i agree that it would make for a much more uh enjoyable conversational architecture that we could all exist in Yes. But it requires an awful, like, we can't get people to have consensus about, like, tons of stuff. We're getting them yes. to have consensus about the foundational presuppositions that uh, occur b- before we have a conversation may also yeah. be challenging. Absolutely, yeah. I, I, you know, I completely agree. And, and you know, the, the point you're making about switching between system one and system two, that's rule four, talk fast and slow. And so much of the talking that we do, you know, you and I now, there's quite a lot of fast talking going on between the two of us. You know, we, we're not planning, as you say, we're not planning what it is that we're going to say. We're kind of hearing the words come out of our mouths. And and that's a great way to talk. You know, imagine if we're both just reading pieces of paper at each other. You know, that that would be that would be terrible. We would have lost something. Um, but there are times when I need to be able to jump in and and error check. And that's the role of system two is to every now and go, no, wait, 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 hang on, stop. And and it's not a lot of the time, but if I can do it some of the time, then I've made an improvement. Um, and, you know, I, I remember I, I didn't actually put this one in the book, but the one time I, I used to have this old Peugeot 307. and um, Quality car. Was it in that good metal gray? No, darker, darker. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh. Okay, fair enough. Okay, cool. Tell us about it. I want to know. Was it the was diesel? It? No, it wasn't. It was petrol. It was a three-door petrol. Um, we used to have to get the three kids in the back. Um, and, and it wasn't running so well. And um, and we were going to visit friends, and my wife said to me, let's just take the bus. You know, the car's not working well. And I went, no, nah, it's going to be fine. You know, there's going to be no problem. And... And we drove to the friend's house and then we couldn't find parking. So we drove about 100 meters past the friend's house. And that exact point where we could not be any further from home, it broke down. And my wife turned to me and she went, you know, we should have taken the bus. And and I remember, I, I, I can't remember the name of the movie. I think it's called Red October. It's a submarine movie. And, you know, there, there are times when the submarine, everything's going bad. And like there are red lights and people are running around and their sirens going off. And I was thinking, I'm in that movie. You know, there are sirens going off. There's red. There's there's just bad stuff going on. And um, and and you know, I I I mean, she was right, obviously. Um, 
but but that was a moment where I think looking back, had I been able to slow things down and get a bit of system, and and I think it was such a vivid sort of example, and and you know I was so clearly in the wrong, um, that I think it was a, a nice example to be able to look back on and go, well, there's a situation where slowing things down could have been good. Um, but to come to your next point, which I think is also a critical point, and that is that this is hard. System two is harder than system one. And as human beings, we seek efficiency. It's, you know, it's not like any of us have got masses of time in the day that, you know, we, we can spend having these painstaking, deliberate, rigorous, logical arguments. But what I would say to that is that all of these arguments that we have just about, it's like, do you think the Brexit argument with fast talking, we didn't, we took three years and we still haven't solved that. We went round and round and round. This whole lockdown thing, I'm not seeing us progressing rapidly towards solutions using the fast talking idea. Even the housework, you know how long my household has been discussing the dishwasher for. So don't underestimate how long and how energy sapping these repetitive conversations can be. And sometimes it actually takes less energy to invoke system two talk slowly and rigorously and hopefully make some actual progress for the mental model fans out there that is direction over speed incarnate for you if you are okay. moving in precisely the correct direction it doesn't right. matter how fast or how slow you know that you are making small amounts of progress okay. every okay. single day Whereas if you focus on speed as opposed to direction, which is the equivalent of efficiency over effectiveness, if you focus on speed, you can be going at 100 miles an hour in exactly the wrong direction and then turn around and go, ah, shit, I've done all of this work and actually my goal is now further away from me. Okay. Okay. And that manifests itself in people who uh, embed bad habits, that they think I'm going to work real, real hard at doing this thing and they end up having to then undo all of this mile in that they've wrapped around a ton of bad pathways, yeah, yeah, get rid yeah. of that, and then start okay. again. Um, but yeah. yeah, direction over speed for the people listening that love mental models. So who do you think is the best communicator or some of the best communicators that have ever lived? Um, well, you know, I'm I'm biased. I'm a South African. Uh, Nelson Mandela. Um, yeah, how do you know yeah. that you're going to say that? But I mean, he's he's all right. Yeah, he's good. Yeah, yeah. I I just think um, I just think for a lot of reasons. You know, I I think um, in in terms of his ability to reach out, um, I think in terms of his ability to tell stories, um, you know, he he, he was an orator. Um, and and then just things like his his body language, his tone of voice, his facial expressions. Um, but I also think in terms of his, and you know, rule three is um, is most people are good, competent, and worthy of respect. And and I think if there's one thing that I've kind of learnt, or ex- not necessarily learnt, but just accepted in this whole journey, which has taken me years, it's possibly been rule three. Most people are good, competent, and worthy of respect. And what that means is that when we disagree, I don't have the easy solution that the reason why we're disagreeing is because you just don't know stuff. You know, our disagreement is rooted in your ignorance or your incompetence. I've got to find a more complex 
explanation, but a better explanation for why you and I disagree. And I think in terms of, um, you know, Nelson Mandela, I, I think he really understood that. You know, he was able to take a national tragedy that had lasted for centuries and not locate the cause of it in the moral failings or the badness of a group of people. And he was able to see the good in everybody in the country. And I think that is what enabled him to speak so persuasively and and powerfully. So, you know, that, that, that's me as a South African and, and, you know, and that's me kind of coming of age in, in the time that he was really uh, talking to the country. Um, I, I think, you know, I mean, the other obvious answer w- would be Winston Churchill. Um, and, you know, Winston Churchill is known for um, we'll, we'll, you know, fight them on the beaches, we'll fight them. And, and, and that's wonderful storytelling. Um, but I spent some time reading through his speeches in detail. And, and there's actually quite a, quite a precise logic that he's applying. And the other thing that he applies is that he links cause and effect, that he's not just saying, it's all going to be fine, we're going to win. He's talking about things like ultimate sacrifice, if we all do our jobs, if we all apply ourselves, then the process will deliver a result. So is that so, the, the analyst seeping in a little bit there? That's it, yes. So while he is a wonderful storyteller, he's actually got this um, this analytical understanding of the world and this understanding of how processes lead to outcomes. And, uh, you know, for me, that's what makes him a compelling uh, communicator as well. He worked incredibly hard at it. I was listening to... Really? Ryan Holiday's most recent book, Not Ego is the Enemy, uh, Stillness is the Key. And right. he talks a lot. He delves into figures from history, and Churchill is one of them. And fuck okay. me, man. Like, he, Churchill did some graft. Like, he wrote, he wrote like 40 books. And he, wow. he had yeah. this unbelievable routine, this walking and writing and uh, painting routine where he did he was like incredible you know for someone that was and then after the the war he was kind of then just sort of left to one Mm. side and then kind Mm. of forgotten Mm. about in a bizarre Mm. sort of way which i I don't think many people know and i found that i found that he was an absolutely fascinating individual and if anyone that's listening has a good biography of his uh that they could suggest i'd love to get stuck into that okay trump is he as much of a master communicator as people say Um, you know, he, he's obviously fits in the storyteller category. Um, so, you know, nobody would accuse him of being an analyst. Um, he, <laughs> that's, that's the nicest put down I've ever heard. No one would accuse you of being an, no one's ever said to you, Donald, that you're too precise. Have they? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Too, uh, yeah. Um, and, and no one would accuse him of being a safety first either. You know, he, well, he doesn't shy yeah, away yeah, yeah, yeah. from that. Um, he, he, the opposite, if anything, he's like the anti-fragile safety firster, where he yes. digs his feet in even harder. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. He and and that's the escalation. You know, he he just ramps it up. He, he every time he just goes up and up and up. So you've got you've got this you've got the storyteller and an escalator, um, and he's extremely good at that. 
I think the question you would have to ask if you were to be critical of him is how complex are the stories that he's telling? Are these good stories? Um, are these stories that um, that 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 have a desired effect? Because what is he telling these stories for? And one of the criticism, you know, and, and if you look at where the U.S. Has, has gone in the three and a half years of his presidency, um, I, I think in terms of, uh, you could say, standing in the world, the U.S. does not have the same standing in the world that it, it used to have. Um, and, and part of that is now, you know, he, he didn't sort of um, didn't start this pandemic. Um, but I, I, I think that would be one hell of a conspiracy. <laughs> yes, maybe we should. Maybe <laughs> we should have a go at Donald. it. Donald, yeah. excuse me, Donald. Can I check yeah. those antibodies, mate? That's it. Yeah, you know. But but I, I think it's it, it's fair to say that the, the, the U.S. response has um, has not been uh, widely uh, widely admired, um, and mm-hmm. and you know. In, in, in terms of applying things like rigor or mythology or consistent approach or uh, or things like adequate risk, uh, you could say that there have been gaps in, in the way that he's led the country. Um, so, you know, I, I think in terms of the stories that he's telling, some of the stories are not actually the best stories that you can tell. You know, if you were to take Winston Churchill, for example, if you were to take Nelson Mandela, they are also storytellers, but they're telling different stories. They're telling stories about striving for something, about unity, about developing a, a national identity. He doesn't tell those stories. He tells stories of, of fear and division and, and selfishness. And those are kind of easy stories to tell because we've all got switches that are easily tripped. The lowest, when uh, it, the lowest hanging fruit, right? The lowest common denominator. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, he tells powerful stories, but in a way they're easy stories to tell. Um, so, you know, and, and then the other thing I would say is he hasn't won a second election yet. You know, he won one and he won it with the lowest margin that, you know, anybody's ever won an election. Thousand votes. Yeah. 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 In, in what was about the three states or something. Um, let's see how he gets on this time, um, because I, I think the real measure of how effective he's been as a storyteller um, will only emerge, as we were saying, sometimes you can only evaluate the story once it's been told. And, um, you know, he's not quite finished. I don't know whether it's that the US coughs and the UK catches a cold or whatever it is, mm-hmm. but, um, man, the the calibre of... Or maybe this is a, my disposition of taking more notice of what's been going on in politics just because I've been listening a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But man, my trust in what politicians say and what the media says, my mm. view of the the delivery of the things that they say, it's mm. there's levels of distrust that I've got that yeah. need to be worked through here. And I yeah, wonder yeah. how much of that is the me being precluded from ever trusting Trump because of what other people say about him. Like, yeah. but even this, like, I need to, I need to strip away the bad conversations from people that aren't him to then look at the bad conversations that he is having to that. Do you know, like, it is yeah. difficult. And, uh, you know, if there's one thing I think that we can take away from this, our conversation today, which hopefully has been at least in part precise and, and easy to understand, is that conversations are challenging. 
and yes. it, they require work. And I think because yeah. we just develop language as a byproduct of being a kid, then we learn some words in school, and then we just yeah. think that we're going to be able to get through the rest of our life whilst yeah. not working at it. Yeah. You know, driving a car has a lower and upper bound. It has a lower bound on how bad you can be. The lower bound mm -hmm. is, do you cause road traffic accidents? The upper bound is essentially kind of, once you're above that, it kind of doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter yes. if you're Colin McRae or fucking Michael Schumacher. Yes. Like, if you go to the local shops, it makes no difference. However, yes. there's gradations of usefulness and your value, I would argue, probably is exponential, not logarithmic. It actually goes like this. And as you become, mm -hmm. as you're the top 5% in the world to the top 2% in the world to the mm. top half a percent in the world at having conversations and at being able to say the things that are inside of your head and articulate your yes. words, your yes. competitive advantage, your ability to enact change, to convince others, to be a, a force for hopefully good in this world yeah. Yeah. It is so much further ahead. Like The difference between Joe Rogan as a podcaster and the next best podcaster is everything really? you know the difference between yeah. me now and me two and a half years ago when i started this show is everything okay. it is yeah. universes apart in yeah, the way yeah. that and i've still got to, tons of ways to go but like i think that's a, a, a nice way to look at it that people should be working to be rigorous we've used the word rigor a lot and i think that's a really cool way to sort of talk about conversations yeah. that yeah. you should be precise you should be rigorous with what you say you should try and strive to be the best conversationalist that you can yes. uh, because that's how you compound wisdom right that's how everything gets built up yes 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 and as you say it's worth the effort well, hopefully some people are going to go away from this and be better conversationalists if they want to pick up 10 rules for talking it will be linked in the show notes below feel free to follow that link onto amazon and grab it on there also you'll be supporting this podcast at no extra cost to yourself any other stuff that you want to plug tim any other stuff people should go and check out no i'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that um <laughs> <laughs> that's hey that's uh, <laughs> yeah you, you kind of put me on the spot there um are you on twitter instagram website blog any of that stuff uh twitter uh tim harkness 10 um yeah welcome i'm yeah welcome to to check that out but uh mainly i i think you know i i spend a lot of time working on that book so it's kind of those are my ideas in there um that's sort of me at the moment hey if this is if this is a manifestation of you i think it's a good a good use of your time mate um and yeah let's say linked linked in the show notes below go and check it out if you want to have better conversations i think we all could do with a little bit of that uh, probably as well, a lot of people that listen to this are kind of fledgling podcasters. I think there's a lot of stuff in okay. there that I've okay. stumbled uh, upon um, during the time that I've just spent right. talking to people. And yeah, yeah. again, when you read something that reflects reality, it's usually a pretty good indication that it, it reinforces what they're saying, it reinforces what you're saying. As a rule of thumb, yeah. Kind yeah. of tells you you're going in the right direction. For sure, yeah. So uh, again, if you want to expedite some of your ability to have conversations with people, and grab this tim thank you so much man no well thank you yeah and en en enjoyed enjoyed our conversation thanks, thanks very much